Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my amazing wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies, and we're trying to convince the other person to like what we like with the latest news in books and sports. Today is the book episode. Everybody's favorite episode? Not your favorite, apparently. I know you struggled with your pages this week. Well, that had more to do with work than anything. My job demanded me to work 10 days straight, so that kind of threw everything off. Hence why we're recording a whole day later than we normally do. Right. Well, let's get into the book news. Archie Comics is going on a surprise hiatus after 78 years. I'm just amazed that they haven't been, like, repeating their stories a million times by now. They must have. Let's be honest. I think they have to have been. There's no way not to. This is the franchise's very first hiatus after launching the Archie-branded comic 78 years ago in 1942. Archie, for a long time, was in, like, the Bazooka Joe bubblegum stuff, too, right? For, like, a little while? Like, I, I remember think as a so. kid, that I had some, like, familiar. dumb Archie comics in there, usually. Yeah. And there's going to be no new comics until the end of November, from what I read. But then the article contradicted itself later on and said the new year, so... Either the end of this year or early next year, there's going to be more comics. Interesting. And Christian Cooper, a man who was birdwatching in Central Park and then the white person called the cops on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the white lady who was, you're doing things, and he's like, no, I'm literally looking at birds. I'm standing here, yeah. And he was racially targeted a few months ago, and he caught the whole thing on camera, and that's how everyone knows him and saw it yeah apparently he is a former comics editor and writer and so dc comics is going to have him write a graphic novel titled it's a bird which is funny for two reasons it's a bird it's a plane so on also bird watching is what got i was hoping they're gonna make like some type of comic like Birdman or like the bird watcher like something super intense well in this one the story is depicting a black teenage bird watcher named jules who is given an old pair of binoculars and when he looks through them he sees stories like brianna taylor george floyd all the other ones you hear about in the news and i don't know where the story goes from there but that's the starting point so it we'll sounds see. creatively weird is the way i can describe it like There's i thought maybe was like oh he has x-ray vision when he looks through him like that would be a typical marvel or like dc comic i assume he's gonna have some sort of powers but that's all that's come out so far this is going to be part of the dc new digital first series so they're doing a whole group of comics that i guess they do like the first issue online and then the rest you have to buy something like that yeah they've done that in the past so i wouldn't be shocked to uh, hear that they're doing that it's also in the series they're going to be highlighting typically underrepresented groups Got in it. comics so it's the series is technically called represented for the digital first series well you're also seeing like comic spin-off now with like miles morales and all sorts of stuff like that so True. it's yeah. definitely becoming a more common thing to do which is kind of good like that's but exciting if you go back through the history of comics they're definitely white leaning if not like all the way that way you don't say like not even sort of kind of like wow right so this is a good step forward i think Like, there were African-American figures in comics, but it was very few and far between. 
Well, and then you have to question, were they superheroes or were they bad guys? And if they were bad guys, that's obviously a very racially motivated issue. Right. You had characters like the Shaft, who could have been both. I don't know who you're talking about, but... I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. You're you're in my turf of books right now. You don't even understand it. (laughs) Warcross by Marie Lu is getting a TV series... Warcross is what some people have termed the female version of Ready Player One, which makes me want to hit people in the face. But to (laughs) a degree, it's a decent description because they're similar on a few different things. They're both about virtual reality and the future of virtual reality and having to go through virtual reality games in order to get to like the big finish of the story, the big climax of the story. Basically, the girl in Warcross is a hacker who, I believe, accidentally hacks her way into a live game of Warcross, and that puts her on the radar for the company because their tech is supposed to be unhackable. And then she's just like, what up? And they hire her to uncover or basically be a spy for this tournament that they're doing. I feel like this is a book that you've recommended to me before because, like, I've read bits and pieces of Ready Player One, and it was kind of up my alley, so... Well, I don't recommend Ready Player One because there's a lot of misogynistic BS in there, but then there's also the fact that the writer loves the 80s, so there's all these little Easter eggs for people who are really into the 80s, and I'm just not. Into the 80s in video games from the 80s? Like, is that Everything in the 80s, pop okay. culture and everything, and it's That's just... That's a little strange. It's over the top. Like, there's stuff in there that I caught, but I was like, I don't know what they're referencing, but it's something to do with the 80s. I don't know. I don't recommend Ready Player One. If you're wanting a VR and kind of high-paced, fast-paced book, I would recommend Warcross over Ready Player One. Or possibly the movie of Ready Player One. I heard that that was a little less misogynistic as the book was, so... That doesn't raise the standard very much. (laughs) Gotcha. Warcross is going to be produced by Made Up Stories. What a name. As well as John Cameron and Endeavor content. And that's all the information we have out right now for that. So it's very early days for that one. It's exciting nonetheless. Obviously, book transitions and like video game transitions into movies or TV series are always a sore point for me. You just have bad experience, I think. Yeah. In legal news, I guess... The ex-Baltimore mayoral aide is going to prison for a book sales scam. So from my understanding, the articles that I read, the mayor and her aide were pitching her self-published books to companies who had pending government contracts. And then they would buy up a lot of her backstock books. Then she would become bestseller somehow. And on top of that, it was basically one of those things where if you want us to agree to this contract you need to buy my book what's really crappy about that is there are probably some really awful business-based christmas gifts in certain years where it's just like listen everyone in the company we gets had to this buy book. 800 of these books everybody gets one like yeah. congratulations so the mayoral aide is gary brown jr and he was sentenced on september 11th to 27 months in prison The ex-Baltimore mayor, Catherine Pugh, began serving her own sentence at a prison in Alabama in June, so I assume she has a longer prison term, but I couldn't find her sentencing anywhere, but she's already started. 
also brought up on false tax returns. So that was a double whammy, right? uh, as it turns out. I'm sorry, I had to do a little bit of digging. I thought that was a very weird story. Yeah. I just get so sick and tired of stories like this. And this is only the second one we've talked about. But I'm tired of people trying to like force their way onto bestseller list. And then you're weeding out the people who don't play by these sorts of unwritten BS rules that aren't really legal. She's kind of a creepy looking woman and she was writing children's books, which is kind of strange. So you're looking at her picture Well, right your now. looks have nothing to do with your writing, but I understand what you're saying. Like why would, you wouldn't put her face on the back of the book, that's for sure, because it would just give children nightmares. No, but if you did like an illustrated cover, you could do like an illustrated version of her that's not as creepy. I guess. And another story having to deal with legalities, HarperCollins filed a lawsuit on Thursday, September 10th against Lindsay Lohan. The actor collected a $365,000 advance for a book deal that she's never really made good on. She didn't ever write the book that she said she was going to write. So Lindsay Lohan is being sued because she never wrote a book? Well, she took an advance and then never wrote the book, so she owes them money. I would say I'm shocked, but she did that awful TV show recently where she had, like, her own club in, like, Europe somewhere, and then Mm -hmm. it it wasn't popular at all because nobody cares about Lindsay Lohan anymore. Right. Well, she signed a contract in March of 2014 for a book that was due in 2015. Yeah. And the deal was for a million dollars, so the 365000 is just an advance so that she can live while she's writing this book or whatever. That's how advances work. Wait, but, what? <laughs> but she was writing the book based on a diary she kept in 2013 while she was in rehab. So she was supposed to be writing the book while she was in rehab? Was it no, about she, rehab? No, she went to rehab, wrote in her diary while she was in rehab, and then signed a book deal after the fact. So was it supposed to be about her diary, or like it's just a book in general about being in rehab? It's or? a book about her life, but it would include pages from the diary and stuff like that. And they pushed back the deadline to March of 2017, so three years after signing this million-dollar contract for this book. But then there's no book happening. So in 2018, HarperCollins terminated the contract, and they told her, you have to give us our money back. No kidding. And... Now in 2020, the year of our Lord, they are pursuing her legally. The year of our Lord, love it. They're like, listen, it's been two years. Uh, Where's my money? Well, I mean, it's been six years since you signed this contract. Holy crap. Yeah, and clearly she's not making headway on the book. It's not like... uh, It's not like she's working on it like J.R.R. Martin's always working. I was going to use that exact reference. Yeah. It's not like there's something actually being done. It's just, yeah, thanks for the $675,000. Catch you $365,000. $365,000? Yeah. That's still a boatload of money. That's almost half a million dollars. Yeah, that's insane. That's more than some of the houses around here are worth. Um... I'll put that on my edge just a little bit. There are houses. Most of the houses in our area are a little more than that. Hence why we live in an apartment. <laughs> no, I mean in Texas. Yeah, well, absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. Like if you were in California, you could buy a shack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about what you could afford. Probably not what she used the money for. No, I would imagine it was used for probably drugs and partying, more than likely in most instances, knowing Lindsay Lohan's history. Well, we'll never know. And the last bit of book news I have is on September 8th, Apple Books and Oprah announced the launch of Oprah's Book Club podcast, which is starting with an eight-episode series to explore Oprah's Book Club pick, Cast, Their Origins of Our Discontents. 
written by Isabel Wilkerson. And the book examines the unspoken caste system that shaped America and shows how our lives today are still defined by a hierarchy of human divisions. Interesting. I thought so. The book, I think, would be hard to read no matter who you are, but especially if you're a white person, which means you should probably read it. Just so you're not as stupid as you already were coming into it. Right. And new episodes are going to be released twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Technically, it already started by the time this podcast comes out. Sorry for the kind of late news. Well, they posted about it really late. Like, no one heard anything about it till the day the first episode dropped. Nice. So... Super secret. Right. And I think there was more to the article about how Apple's trying to get into the book side of things. So, like, on her podcast, there's always going to be a link to, like, Apple Books so that you can use that to buy the book and have it on your Apple phone or Apple computer or whatever. So they're trying to, like, streamline all their stuff together. I know personally you and I are trying to get away from Apple, but here we are literally using two Apple computers right now to make this exist. Right. And, like... Obviously, Apple's domain is pretty strong. They really don't need to put their hands all up in somebody else's business unless they're paying fair money about it to, you know, podcasters. Well, you have to go all the way down the line. You can't just go, well, the person that we're dealing with front-wise is going to be the one who makes all the money and everything's fine. But then people who make that thing happen aren't getting paid well enough, so it all... Yeah. It just all depends. And it's the problem I have with capitalism where, like, it's never enough. You're always reaching in and grabbing more and more and more. And you, I mean, these giant companies. Right. Like Amazon and Apple and everyone else. These big companies are taking pretty large risks at the same time when they invest into things that they don't know could equal money. And they could lose a lot of money doing that. They can afford to take those risks. But, like, the secondhand bookstore down the street can't compete with that. Oh, without a doubt. So, like, I'm not going to be buying through Apple. No. I avoid using Amazon unless I have a gift card and absolutely can't use it anywhere else. And even Barnes & Noble, the only reason we really shop there anymore is because they're almost out of business. So. Right. So I think if you're someone who consumes a lot of books, like has been pointed out to me, I do. I think you have to be conscientious of where you're spending your money. Right. That was a tangent I didn't know we were going to go down. But Yeah, that w- it was really downhill very quickly. <laughs> And up next, I have another book tag. It is called the Book Reader Problems Tag. I don't know if you're going to have these problems. I might. We'll find out. I get distracted easily, but I think that's more to do to ADD than anything, to be completely honest. So I don't think it mentions anything about distraction. Drats. Well, this will be very interesting then. The first question is, you have 20,000 books on your TBR. How do you decide what to read next? I'd blow my brains out and I wouldn't read anything <laughs> next just because that's way too many books on TBR. In fairness, though, like, because I haven't read a lot of books, I'm in that predicament. There. You could <laughs> read any am, and everything. I could go and pick up a random book and be like, you're on my TBR now. Congratulations. Yeah. At least it's not a physical TBR. That would be horrifying. Where, like, we have a lot of books and I couldn't fathom putting 20,000. If we had 20,000 books in this house, it would just be books. We wouldn't have room to sit down. We'd be sitting on books. We'd Considering be off of books. we're in a second floor apartment, we would then be living on a first floor apartment if that many books were in this house. Yeah, we'd have to have two at the same time. No, I meant the floor would not be able to handle that many books. Oh, yeah, just cave. That's probably a true reality. Let's be honest. That's yeah. a lot of paper. 
but I put new releases get priority or continuations of series. So if like the next book in a series comes out, I'll read that. Or if I have started a series, but it's a backlisted series, then the next book takes priority. Technically, my TBR consists of Harry Potter books right now, and I just continue to mosey on along to the next book. For Until you get through the series. Till currently, and then after that, I'm going to be very dependent on recommendations from people, and yeah. hopefully we'll start to receive those soon, because I'm getting a little nervous as I'm already in the Order of the Phoenix. Well, it's going to take you a while to finish the series, yeah. so... But I said after that I do mood reading so it just depends on what I'm in the mood for that month or seasonal like I've got a lot of like thriller or mystery on my TBR for October. Right. The second question is you're halfway through a book and you're not loving it do you put it down or are you committed? I'm pretty committed. I try to finish what I'm reading. I don't like to... Same, yeah. I don't like to jump to something new and be like, ooh, there's something new and shiny in front of me. Like, I just feel like that's... Well, it's too distracting, but on top of that, I feel like it's a waste of time to read half of books. So you read half of a book, put it down, and then the next one you don't like, and you only read half of that. And then right. you've successfully read zero books. Exactly. And I don't, that's obviously not the goal. Yeah. Third question is, the end of the year is coming and you're behind on your reading challenge. Do you try to catch up? And if so, how? So this is mostly for people who do the Goodreads challenge like I do every year, or at least since 2015. If I was in that predicament, I'd probably just try to buckle down and focus as much as I could, taking as much of my life out of my hands and then just throwing it at books. But right. because I'm not one of those people that probably will be participating in too many reading challenges just due to my day-to-day -day life. I don't see you doing a Goodreads challenge. I just, I really don't have the time. And I do like to still have like a work-life podcast life balance. Right, right. So, you don't want to spend all your time reading and working and then you don't get to like breathe. Right. If I couldn't sit down and like watch the Bears on Sunday or watch the White Sox during the week, I would probably have a mental breakdown. Yeah. So. Well, I said I haven't had this problem in the last three years. Currently, I've already broken my first goal, my stretch goal, and I'm going to hit my third stretch goal in October. So, like, I, d I don't have this problem, but I've had it before. And basically what I did was, if I'm close, like, if I'm only a couple or a handful of books behind, I'll read short and easy books or rereads yeah. to catch up. But if I'm not close, I'm just gonna let it go. Go whatever. about your life and yeah. continue to read your things. But let's be honest, you pretty much obliterate the goals you put every month and every year for that matter together so I basically say how many books I want to read for the year as like a first stretch goal and that's what sets my monthly goal so even if I fall short I hit my yearly goal right so like I think that pretty much covers me for the good read challenge the covers of a series you love don't match how do you cope you don't. <laughs> um, not that I am that broken but I know that having the matching covers is important to me because I am a very driven by aesthetic type person so like if the aesthetic's wrong it looks awful and it's kind of the same thing related to my job I guess a little bit is the way I would have that comparison because like if I ever had a kitchen with different looking appliances I'd lose my mind. Yeah well for me I don't like it when the covers don't match but it's not such a big problem that I'm gonna go spend my money on replacing books because I could buy books I've never read before instead of buying books I've read before just because the covers don't match. Right. So I don't want to just replace books I already own for the aesthetic 
I'm sorry, I would. <laughs> so be ready when mm-hmm. I do start really powering through series. There's a yeah. chance. Well, I think Divergent is the first one I have that problem with, so feel free. Yeah. Everyone and their mother loves a book that you don't. Who do you bond with over your shared feelings? Let's hear that one one more time. Everyone and their mother loves a book that you don't love. Who do you bond with over this? So would it be in reference to, like, me bonding with people that also don't like the series? Or would I bond... I took it to mean someone who shares your feelings about the book that you two are the only ones who feel this way about the series. I don't know. I've always been a guy that can make conversation pretty well with most people, even if I don't like things. Kind of comes with the turf of my life. Let me structure the question a different way. Okay. Who do you have a similar reading taste to? God, I have no idea at this point. <laughs> I don't know that I can truly answer that. I don't know that that's really fair to anybody else because I don't want to put them in that same boat with me. But I don't know. Probably somebody that's new to the book world, I guess. Like whether it be book two. Or I think you just have an underdeveloped sense of what you like to read, so you don't really know who you would read similarly to. Nor do I pay close enough attention to really find a perfect comparison either. Right. I just read the book and enjoy it and then talk about it here on this lovely podcast. Well, I have a friend who we both have read a book that I'm going to talk about today because I read this book last week. And she and I had like polar opposite feelings about this book. I gave it 1.5 stars or 1.75 stars and she rated it four stars on Goodreads. And I wanted to go over there and ask her if we read the same book. (laughs) So obviously I have different opinions from people in my real life. So what I usually do is I'll rant at you and you haven't even read the book, but you'll get to hear all my lovely feelings about it. I'm just sitting there like with a blind look on my face like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Or I'll text my best friend about it and be like, I don't care if you don't agree with me. I have to let out my feelings. If you're reading a book in public and you feel like you're about to cry, what do you do? Not cry. I can't just shut that down. As as a guy, I feel like that's kind of ingrained into our brains. Like, we need to be tough right now. Don't do it. Toxic masculinity ruins the party again. Yeah, well, I'm wired. It's not my choice. Yeah. I said, if I can, I make sure that the book is up and covering my face. Or if I can't do that, then I just cry. I feel like bringing the book up above your face probably brings more attention to you than you probably would actually than want. just sitting there crying? Yeah, I'd be like, who's the strange person with the book up over their head like this? Like, I don't know. It's very Luna Lovegood of you to be like, just like blocking out everybody, blinders, you know, as best as you I don't mind could. that. I yeah. love Luna. Yeah. My first good Luna Lovegood reference. Whoa. Yeah, good job. If a sequel to a book you really enjoyed comes out, but you've forgotten what happens in the first book, are you going to reread the first book before you jump into the next book? So in the past, I've done this different ways. When I was younger, it was definitely more like, let's just read the spark notes of what happened in the previous book. More recently, I would say I usually force myself to like reread like the last few chapters of the previous book at least at a minimum okay because otherwise i feel like i'm completely lost and i don't like being lost anymore in books so like even if it means i read like four or five chapters from the last portion of the book at least i know what i left off on and i'm continuing with so if i'm not going to commit to rereading the whole book at least i'm getting some of the information back yeah i usually reread books before the next one comes out and i think this started with harry potter when i was a kid i would 
read the first books before the next one came out and then that just became a thing that I did Can't with every series. Yeah. So like there's going to be, I want to say a handful of new books in series coming out next year. And so in my head, I'm like, I have to reread all of these books before these dates. She's already so. been writing out her calendar for next year, FYI. So. You didn't have to say that. I didn't <laughs> need to be called out. But yes, I do have an Excel spreadsheet for this. Yes. And you need to not judge me for it. <laughs> yeah, okay. If you don't want anyone borrowing your books, how do you politely say no if and when someone asks? First of all, you're borrowing my books at the moment. So you have no books. I don't know. I've paid for a lot of these books, um, but those we won't go presents? into that conversation. Don't need a brawl out in the <laughs> middle of our podcast. I will fight you for these books. Um, but the reality of it is I've only ever loaned a few books out before. And this is a tough one because obviously the ones that I've had, I really wasn't that attached to because right. as a kid, I was more of a comic book person. So like, I guess if I loaned out a comic book or somebody was trying to have me loan out a comic book, I would have been like, Listen, I'm planning on getting the new one next week. I'm just going to reread this one really quick. So and lying. Yeah, well, lying. it works. Mm-hmm. And it worked. So, you know. That's I, I better just... than the lie that I came up with for this. Because I usually don't have people trying to borrow my books. But if someone did, I would just tell them, oh, I sneezed on it. And I don't want you to read it. Yeah. But yours is much better. You sneezed on it, huh? I can... I'm like, where's the sneeze? Open it up. Exhibit A, please. I don't think most people would ask you to point out where you sneezed. That would be weird. I just, I usually don't get people asking to borrow my books. So this isn't normally a problem for me. Yeah, I'm pretty much the only one that borrows books from you now, so. Well, I sneezed in the sixth Harry Potter, so you can't read that next. It's fine. I'll go buy another copy. You know me. I'll find another matching copy to one of the other sets. You know how many Harry Potter books are in this house? And also, we are not funding J.K. Rowling anymore, so you can read my book. But just you. How do you get over a reading slump if you're picking up and putting down books? You really haven't had a chance to have this problem. You've been forced to read Harry Potter the whole time. The only slumps I ever have are caused by work. So I really, yeah, I I don't know. I know you won't read if you had a really bad work day. Oh, absolutely not. Because I don't want to ruin my enjoyment of the book. So like if I'm already in a bad mood, I'm like, the last thing I want to do is destroy something I'm enjoying. Well, plus this is something that it's kind of like another one of those things you have to do. So you don't want to keep doing things you have to do when you're trying to relax after a bad work day. I don't know that that's necessarily the reasoning behind it. I know that that's kind of what your opinions might be in the situation. But no, honestly, it's if I'm in a bad mood and I had a bad day at work, the last thing I want to do is do something else that I won't really help me decompress necessarily. Like books don't help me decompress. Right. And, And it's not that I feel like it's something else to do. It's just more along the lines that... I know what does work and therefore I go to the tried and true and not risk ruining something else for myself through the right. day. For me, I get the same way sometimes for like if I'm in a bad mood, I don't want to pick up a new book. So I'll try to reread an old favorite. So like I have enough memories stored in this book that it's not a problem. Or I try to get a super easy romance or contemporary novel that I can read in like a day and just power through. Because then I've made progress really quickly, but also it's sort of like a reset button for me. Yeah, I've seen you do it a couple times. Yeah. I don't tend to get in that many reading slumps. I know when we got back from Rome this year, I had a problem with it. But also the world was kind of ending, so I don't really blame myself for that. 
Yeah, the pandemic kind of set in. We, like, timed that trip flawlessly. Days after we got home. Yeah. Literal days. There are so many books coming out that you were dying to read. How many do you actually end up buying? You really haven't had this experience. I really haven't. I'm sure I will as things move along with the podcast, but... I think as you discover what you like to read, this will be more of a thing for you. Yeah, so currently uh, not applicable. Let's put an N.A. on there. Yeah. And I said, well... I use my birthday and Christmas money to buy new releases, so I pre-order almost all the new releases I buy every year. And it seems like almost every other week there's just a random book that shows up at our house. Well, at this time of the year, yes, but there are months where nothing comes to the house. Yeah. But I basically, whatever new release I want, I get just because I use gift money, so I'm not using my actual money. Right. And I'll just use my actual money to continue series that I'm already reading, but it's not a new release, so a backlist or something. So all and none, basically, are our answers. After you purchase all of these books that you're dying to read, how long do they usually sit on your shelves before you get to them? For Forever you. for you. Forever, because, yeah, there's a lot of books sitting on the TBR awaiting my uh, time and attention. Yes. For you, I would almost say it depends. Like, if it's a book that you're r- really overly excited about, I've literally seen you put your reading list to the side and then just pick up the book and go straight into it. Yeah. But then there's other times where, like, gosh, what's her name? The Natasha... Nyang. Nyang. Her books have been sitting on your TBR for an eternity. For a reason. I only have the first book in her Girls of Paper and Fire series, and I questioned even picking it up, but I did with For multiple reasons. We follow, like somebody that she knows on youtube so right so she's a friend of a youtuber that we watch so sometimes we see her and then the premise sounded good so i wanted to pick it up but then after the reviews came out after buying it some early reviews and some pretty quick reviews came out and it was worrying And people who've continued with the series seem to still really like the series, but the people who didn't like the first one and stopped had some pretty strong arguments for why they stopped. Yeah. So that's why that's still sitting on the shelf. Yeah. But there are also new releases that, like, I started reading them right after I opened the package. So it really just depends. But... I would say for most new releases, a month or two is the longest they tend to sit on the shelf because like I can see like four that I've set aside for October that I'm right. going to be reading. But you're planning for that. that right. Like, it wasn't like you're like, man, I don't want to read this right now and just put it over there. It's yeah. more of a, there's an overall ulterior motive for this. Well, they're kind of creepy, so they're going to be perfect for October. Yeah. But for some of my backlist books, they can sit there for years. I don't have that many backlist books that have been sitting there for years, but I see one in particular that I'm like, I regret buying you because now I have to read you at some point and you've been on my shelf for too long. So it really just depends. But that was the tag. You're it. Apparently. Yep. Because we're going to talk about what I've been reading. And the first book we're going to talk about is that one that I gave 1.75 stars to. It is Boy, I'm sure you're excited to talk about this one. Oh, man. The Magicians by Lev Grossman. I rated it 1.75 stars. It was on my TBR shelf slash it's a backlist book. And basically, it was pitched to me as grown-up Harry Potter. And so it's like a college for magic versus like a middle school, high school situation for magic. And I was down for that. Everyone loves a good wizard school. Right. But first things first, Lev Grossman had a stick up his butt. So that was a problem. 
But also, he... I don't even know where to start. There's so many bad things to discuss. The first being, he absorbed a lot of the pillar of the fantasy community and just regurgitated a lot of it in this like weird, twisted Alice in Wonderland style of writing. And so I really didn't like that because I read so much science fiction and fantasy that this sort of twist, I wanted to say another word, on all of that was like distressing. Yeah. But it was supposed to be to a point. Like it said over and over throughout the series that like what you read and loved as a child about the idea of magic isn't really real and magic is a problem to be dealt with. And it's not like this big high fantasy like sweeping story with a lot of wonderful little tricks and treats and nice things for you. It's bad. And I really wasn't there for that up until the last like 30 pages. And I was like, you know what? The way the story turned at the end, like that could work. Like that could make sense. But then in the last five pages, something happened and they're like, hey, remember everything we've been barking at you for almost 400 pages? Turns out that's wrong. We're going to go over here and play with magic some more. And it's like, I just wasted so many hours of my life. And then on top of that, it's just really dense and hard to read if you're not paying that much attention. Like, you have to constantly be paying attention as you're reading. And I'm not a fast reader, in my opinion. I read about 50 pages an hour. I was reading like 25 or 30 pages an hour, so it cut it in half. And it's not a matter of I couldn't read it fast enough, so it's bad. It was dense just for the sake of being dense. There wasn't a reason to write like that except to make the story drag, or at least that's how it felt. And then on top of that, it's pitched as Magic College, and it's supposed to be a five-year school, but he skips a year, so it's a four-year school, like any other college. So, college. And then on top of that, his five-year, but really four-year college lasts for maybe 150 pages out of a 400-page novel. And so... He's barely even there. Right. And then on top of that, this is the first book in a series. Would it not have made sense to explore the world better and break this up into two books? And like the first one could have been the going to college and the second one could have been everything else that happens. Right. It just, it felt like it was keeping the reader at a distance for absolutely no reason. So that's why I got 1.75 stars for me. There, There's so much more and like my review goes into it. So check it out on Goodreads if you want to see that. If you got time to read the hate. <sighs> it's better than trying to read the magicians, I'll tell you that. Yeah. But then my week had its own turn and I read a book that I loved and it's The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. I gave it 4.5 stars. It's a new release. It came out on the 1st. I think I read it on the 8th and the 9th. So about a week later. Uh, it came in the mail this past week, so go figure. It got mm. put to being read. Literally like two days after I got it, I read it. So. Yeah. And this one is sort of a combination of Clue and Knives Out. It very much has the feel of that. And basically, it starts out with a regular girl named Avery who one day is notified that she needs to go to Texas for a will reading because some billionaire she's never met has given her something in the will. And she gets there and you see 
all of these signs of like these grandkids who've always lived this lavish lifestyle and these like snooty bratty parents of theirs who have never wanted for anything and the house is insane with all these like trick doors and hallways and it's just everything that my soul wanted and needed and it was perfect. And then he is also sort of like the guy in Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson who built the school Ellingham Academy in that book because he likes games. So he's built games into this house. Interesting. And it is a mystery about, well, why was this girl from nowhere who no one's ever met before suddenly inheriting so much from this billionaire? Yeah, that is kind of strange. And it's definitely a book that would be right up your alley. So I'm not shocked that you enjoyed it. This was perfect for me. I loved it. But if it weren't for a side character, this would have gotten five stars for me. Like five plus stars, five and a brownie, something, whatever you can give it more than five stars. But there is a side character who has the exact same nickname as me. As far as I can tell, the same physical attributes as me from what I've read. The same hobbies, the same personality, the same family history, and the same relationship history. I can put it that way. So that's just a lot. And it kept pulling me out of the story. And so, like, I know this isn't based on me, this side character. But the author and I are from towns that are literally 10 minutes apart. Yeah, you're going more in depth with me on that. And I think that's actually probably the weirdest part about it. It's just this side character is like seeing me fictionalized and it's scary. So how much older is this person than you? Four years older than me. The author is four years older than me. Hmm. That pulled me out of the story. But otherwise, if you're not me, you're going to love this. Also, if you are me, you're going to love this. So Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. That just took me out a little bit, but it's still worth reading, even if you are me. And the last thing I read was a NetGalley arc that I got sent unsolicited that I just loved the sound of and didn't love the execution. So it's A Golden Fury by Samantha Coho, I think is how you say it. Kohi. I rated it three stars. So it's literally just the middle of the road. Like it's meh. It's not bad, but it's not good. It's just right down the center. And it's about a girl who has been studying alchemy underneath her mother in 18th century Normandy. And they're trying to create the Philosopher's Stone. And anyone who is trying to do this is discovering that they go crazy. So her mother goes insane and attacks her and she gets shipped off to live with her father who she's never met. But he is also an alchemist who's trying to create the Philosopher's Stone. And so we continue on this journey of she's trying to create the stone because it'll help her get out of this situation, but it'll also help her save her mother who's gone insane trying to do this because of the healing properties. And it's just sort of weird and it talks a little bit too much about its place in history, like where the story takes place, not just in setting, but time as well. So it gets into the nitty gritty of like the architecture and her clothing and her hair and all this other stuff. And I'm like, that's great and all, but can I see someone do this process? Because that was the whole point in what I read of the synopsis. And it took away from the story. On top of that, you have a lot of people behaving in ways that I don't think is 100% believable. And with all stories, you have to suspend your disbelief for a little bit at least. 
or you're not going to enjoy what you're reading. But so much so that even with the suspended disbelief, I still was scratching my head about it. So it could be up certain people's alleys. I think if you like historical fiction, that would be for you. It's just something that it's not bad, but it's not good for me as a reader. That makes a lot of sense. As for what I'm reading next, I'm a little sad about what I'm reading next because I thought I would have a book in my hands by this point and it's not here yet and UPS won't tell me where it is. I just know it's on its way. So this will also be the year of 2020. (laughs) Right. Uh, So the books I'm waiting on, and if I have time, I will try to fit it into my schedule, is In the Hall with the Knife by Diana Peterfrund. And it's a backlist book, so it came out last year. It is, from what I know, it's Young Adult Clue. And that was literally, I needed the title, I needed the cover, I needed someone to tell me that it's like Clue in Young Adult form, and I picked it up. So, like, I don't even know the full synopsis of this, but I'm waiting for it. Just the same. And the next one either has already come out or it's coming out in this spooky season. So you'll have a follow-up very shortly thereafter. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming out in 2020, the follow-up to that one. And it's going to be called In the Study with the Wrench. And it comes out October 27th, so. Yeah, it couldn't be any more up your alley based on what it sounds like at all. Well, let me read the synopsis real quick. The first sentence is probably what sold me. A murderer could be around every corner in this thrilling YA trilogy based on the board game Clue. As the person who makes us watch Clue every year for Halloween, this is perfect. Hashtag sold. Yes. When a storm strikes at Blackbrook Academy, an elite prep school nestled in the woods of Maine, also selling me there. A motley crew of students, including Beth Peacock Peacash, Orchid McKee, Vaughn Green, Sam Mustard Meister, Finn Plum, and Scarlet Mystery. Wow, that's some last name. Are left stranded on campus with their headmaster. Hours later, his body is found in the conservatory, and it's very clear his death was no accident. With this group of students who are all hiding something, nothing is as it seems. And everyone has a motive for murder. Fans of the Clue board game and cult classic film will delight in Diana Peterfront's modern reimagining of the brand, its characters, and the dark, magnificent old mansion with secrets hidden within its walls. Well, can you buy a book twice? Because you thought about it. Sold. Right. So if that arrives, I'm going to try to fit it in by the end of the week, but I don't think that's going to happen. But currently I'm reading Christmas Wishes by Sue Moorcroft. It is a net galley arc, and I was basically just sold on the fact that it's a Christmas book, and I wanted something to get past the, like, I had a really good couple of days last week, but I had some really bad reading days last week, so I just wanted to get over that with a Christmas book, and it's a romance. Right. And it's supposed to be about these two teenagers who are friends and then they separate and come back together later in life. And that was my understanding of the story. So far, I haven't seen that. So either the synopsis was not written properly or I'm reading the wrong NetGalley book. So we'll see how the rest of it goes. I'm only like a third of the way through the book. And then I am starting my An Ember in the Ashes reread before the fourth book comes out because like I said, I reread books before their sequels come out. The sequel comes out in December and basically it's about a girl whose family has been torn apart by the government and then the rebellion that has come out of the oppressed people who have been dealing with this government. 
And that's like the baseline for the story. And it really kicks off when she goes to the rebels because her brother's been arrested and tries to figure out how to save him. Should be an exciting book. Keep you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. And I've already read it before, so I know I like it. But the last time I read it, I binge read the first three in like a week. I feel like I remember this time. And so I don't remember where each book leaves off. So I think it's a good idea to reread. I do that or start pulling the stunt that I do where it's like the last four chapters, the first four chapters, last four chapters, four last. I would rather reread the whole book. I know. Yeah. But those are all my reading plans and what I've been reading lately. I know you're now at the halfway point for Order of the Phoenix. And you're going to try to get to three quarters of the way through before we record next week. Yeah, starting with chapter 21 next week. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. So tell me about what you've been reading, which Uh, I will be reading before the end of the month. So Order of the Phoenix so far. We left off on chapter 11 last week is where we ended. Yeah, you finished chapter 11. So we are starting with chapter 12, which is exciting because we're finally getting into classes instead of just all the preemptive things going to Hogwarts. I will say book five does a lot of like before you actually get to the school a lot of stuff has to happen. Whereas in most of the previous books it's like summer happened and we're at Hogwarts you know so we obviously get the first day of school like actual classes and stuff like that at the beginning of chapter 12 so it's kind of a good feeling. Yeah. Um, You find out that all the teachers are talking about how important the owls are and are assigning literally dump truck loads worth of homework. Literally? Yeah. I'm pretty certain. At least that's (laughs) the way Harry and Ron seem to think it is. And Hermione's like, I'm already done with all of it. They're like, how? She's not procrastinating. She's not on the Quidditch team. And she's just on top of her homework 24-7. Bingo. Nailed it. Right on top. But we start off the chapter with everybody coming down to the common room and seeing Fred and George's sign. Uh, about the gallons of galleons they can earn by being test dummies for his new their new joke shop candies. Yeah. Yeah. Good advertisement. Hard to say. Yeah. As I literally mistakenly said it twice as I was trying to tell you I was writing it down in my yeah. notes. So you have your first Defenses Against the Dark Arts class with Umbridge, and boy, is that exciting. Let mm. me tell you what. I would be bored in this class. Yeah, it uh, says so the person that literally is trying to argue about reading books. Uh, Don't point at me does. like that. I do like books. I do like reading books. But if all you're doing in class is reading the book, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And obviously you have some solid points made by other classmates other than just Hermione who's like, how are we supposed to actually be able to do these things if we right. don't ever practice them? Umbridge starts the class by telling people to put their wands away and pull out their quills. Yeah. Because that's all they're going to need in her class. And then the commotion can just basically begins, more or less. You have Dean getting involved. You also have Parvati getting involved. It's a solid point because as you see throughout the books... No one gets a spell right on the first try. Not even Hermione. She might come close, but she doesn't. And so it's like, how in the world is this actually supposed to be a defense against the dark arts class and not just a theory class? Which is what Umbridge wants it to be. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting to say the least, obviously. Hermione's big argument is that class goals don't fit the class title, uh, which I agree and you agree based on what you just stated. Umbridge basically explains the ministry doesn't want students practicing dangerous spells 
So, more or less, this is what you're going to get. Take it or leave it. Harry gets frustrated with it, starts making accusations of, like, how are we supposed to defend ourselves if we're getting attacked? And Umbridge is like, from who? Who are you going to get attacked from in school? Because Voldemort doesn't exist. Because she's drinking the Gatorade. Well, she's the right hand to Cornelius Fudge, so are you really shocked? No. She's probably got gallons and gallons of the Gatorade sitting and waiting, you know. Yeah. And in reference to your reference to that statement, it's it's Kool-Aid, but it's not Gatorade. Um, I don't like Kool-Aid. That's probably why I said that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Harry gets beyond irate and goes, yeah, because I just made everything up that happened to me last year and all the years beforehand. I Uh, still say his angry outbursts have to do with his PTSD on top of not being believed at all. Yeah. I think it's a a stack of that and then just the pure frustration from literally everything that's going on around him right now. Right. And in turn, he catches attention for a whole week and then is sent to Professor McGonagall to basically talk to her about what happened. Yeah. And McGonagall's like, just behave yourself. There's no reason we know who she reports to. Like, you coming down here and arguing with me about it isn't going to change anything. You just need to off and not get angry in her class. Easier said than done, I think. I agree, a little bit. After all that, you come back into chapter 13, you have Fred and George testing fainting fancies on the first years in the common room, which is interesting. At first, Harry and Ron and Hermione don't even notice it, and then all of a sudden they just see a bunch of slumped over first years. I feel like that's maybe just a little bit taking advantage of the fact that they're naive and they're young and they're like, young and this stupid. old class wants, the older classman wants me to try these things. It must be safe. Well, they're being compensated, remember? Gallons of galleons. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, they're definitely taking advantage of them, at least a little bit. Yeah. And because Hermione and Ron are the prefects, Hermione's like, we have to do something about this. And Ron's like, sure, go right ahead. Like, Do we? Do we? Like, it's all yours to deal with. Yeah. And Hermione gets so frustrated with them, and like, Fred and George are like, mocking her to an extent, and she's like, fine. I'll write your mother. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Like, Fred and George just start freaking out. I love how scared they are of their mother. Well, they have every right to be. She's scary. Like, howlers and all sorts of things like that that have been handled in the past. I get it. Yeah. And they were already on her bad side coming to school this year. So, like, are you that shocked? I'm not shocked. It's just funny. Yeah. And then after that, Hermione goes back to making her hats for the house elves, which we find later on aren't really making it to all the house elves. Which is kind of a funny scene later in the book, which I'm glad I paid attention to what was going on because Hermione's like pumping these things out like a sweatshop to an extent, you know, like just like hats, 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 hats. I'm leaving that in the podcast. Yeah, it's fine. Angelina Johnson is becomes the new captain of the Quidditch team for Gryffindor. Yeah. Which we shouldn't be shocked, like, who else was going to step up and take that. There really is this gap between years for a lot older of students. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I realized, too. Because I remember correctly, Katie Bell is only, what, like a year older than Harry? Yeah. So she hasn't been a part of the team that much longer than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And she's beyond irate with Harry for getting a week's detention the week that they're going to have to decide who the new keeper is going to be. I originally wrote goalie because I was literally watching soccer while it was happening. Like, I was taking these Not notes. Not quite the same thing. And I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. That's not the right term here. Yeah. And, like, Harry's like, I didn't mean to get it. Like, I was just trying to defend myself. And I'm where I'm at, you know. Umbridge's detention is borderline torture, if not torture. I wouldn't put the word borderline in there. Yeah, torture. It's torture. We'll call it what it is. She has a magical quill that, as you write, uses your own blood to write 
the things down on the paper, but at the same time, it's cutting your hand open in the form of the letters of the words that you're writing. So that it can sink in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, ironic a little bit because she's supposed to be the defense against the dark arts, and I feel like this is kind of a dark artsy thing for punishment. Some people say that Umbridge is actually a worse person than Voldemort. Because while he's doing all these horrific things, you know who he is and what he's doing. He's whereas a straight she, shooter, right. Whereas she is doing all these horrible things that sort of fit into the law. Right. She's bending the gray areas to her advantage, to say the least. Yeah. So. And obviously, the weird thing is with the detentions, they're starting at like 5 o'clock and they're going till midnight. That's seven hours of just cutting open your hand. Also, how are you supposed to get all that homework done? Right. Like, you're not even getting a fair opportunity to do anything else. But I guess in fairness, like, earlier on, the detentions were kind of that way as well. Yeah. Like... With Gilderoy. With Gilderoy, with Hagrid, they're out there in the forest till, like, super late. But they also start late with Hagrid. Yeah. So I shouldn't be shocked that detentions are taking that long at the same time, so... And what he's having to write is, I must not tell lies when he's clearly telling the truth, which is like, ugh. I would just get angrier and angrier. I'd be infuriated by the time I was done with it. And then as he's coming back from one of the detentions, he finds out that Ron's been, like, secretly practicing to be the next Mm -hmm. keeper. He's explaining to Harry, like, well, you know, my brother's always played the other position, so I always had to play keeper anyways. So, like, I have experience with it. And that's where Harry kind of shares with Ron what's actually been going on. And Ron's, like, beyond irate for him. Right. And he's like, listen... I don't want to do anything about it. Just let me get through it and prove that I'm stronger and better than her and everything will be okay. The thing to draw from this, if you're paying attention, is that Ron grew up in a very healthy and happy home, even if they were poor. Right. Whereas Harry grew up in a neglectful and off-screen abusive household. So So it's not that complicated for him to deal with it. He would rather deal with it than deal with whatever the consequences would be of speaking up. Because he knows that abusive people get worse when confronted. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Horrifying, isn't it? And then he also tells, well, this is later on in the week, his final session of writing his things out, his lines, yeah. as he describes it to everybody else, Umbridge comes over to check the wound to make sure that it's, like, sunk in. Yeah. And Harry's scar burns. So, like, he is kind of on edge about her possibly being a Death Eater and or just being brainwashed, more or less, under brain control from Voldemort. And maybe that's why the scar Imperiest. burns. Imperiest? Yeah. Yep. It's the same thing. I just didn't use the term. When he gets back from that final detention, he finds out that Ron was named keeper of the Quidditch team, which is kind of funny because based on while he was in there watching the tryout, he didn't think Ron was doing that well. And we later find out that he really wasn't the best candidate necessarily, but there were other candidates that they would have picked. However, they didn't really fit in and or their schedule didn't fit in. Right. Which is irony a little bit further down into my notes here, obviously, because, like, the one person that's part of that group, who knows whether or not they got reapproved for what they were going to do. But the next morning, uh, of course, Harry needs to write a letter to Sirius because, you know, whenever anything happens related to Voldemort, he immediately needs to write his godfather about it. Well, of course. And as he's going up there, he runs into Filch's cat. And he's like, I'm not even doing anything wrong. Why are you giving me this look like I'm doing something wrong? She's a very expressive cat. Let's be honest, cats can be expressive as we have one who's currently looking at us like, shut up. Well, she's a very sleepy girl. Yeah. Anyways, back to what we were discussing about Filch's cat who runs away to go tell Filch where Harry's been and what he's up to, even though he's really done nothing wrong. He gets up there, 
gets Hedwig to attach the note. And as he's doing that, Cho Chang, the love of his life, walks in. They're always meeting in the Owlery. Yeah, which is kind of a cute place to meet, I guess, because you don't have... Smelly, I would think. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like neutral ground. There's no, like, giggling girls following Cho around. Right. Harry's like, I can be safe in this zone, more or less. She sides with Harry about how he's being mistreated by Umbridge and the detentions and all that stuff. And then she asks if, you know, we figured out who the new keeper was. And he breaks it down as it's the person that hates the tornadoes, which is a scene I didn't include in my notes because it really just seemed like filler to an extent. It's good to see all the, like, different small things that get scattered in, like the tornadoes being a team and so on. It's just filler to sort of do world building, which is why everyone loves Harry Potter and it's so expansive. And it's great and all, but at the same time, it's like, unless it comes back up later, which maybe it is, I don't know, because I'm not that far in, but it is kind of tying Cho Chang a little more to Harry, obviously, even if he's rudely interrupted in both of these instances, both by Ron the first time and Hermione, and then this time by Filch himself showing up. Right. So... Filch is like adamant about getting the note because he thinks he's ordering dung bombs. And it's like, firstly, wrong person. Yeah, so yeah. worried about the Weasleys doing that more <laughs> than anything. But at the same time, like immediately Cho's like, that's not what was on the note. And I'm like, go Cho, go Cho. Have Harry's back, go Cho Chang. Yeah. You know. Over breakfast, Harry reads that Sturgis Podmore, the reason he wasn't there to help escort him to the train station is that he was arrested and thrown in Azkaban for six months. Due to an attempt of breaking into the ministry. Did he work at the ministry, though, at that point in time? They mean a certain area of the ministry he tried to break into that is supposed to be off limits. Got it. I was a little confused. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he had a job there, but I might be wrong. There's a certain part of the ministry that you have to have clearance for. And he wasn't having clearance for it, clearly. Yeah. The Gryffindor team finally gets to have a practice with Ron, and the Slytherins are there just heckling, realistically, the whole team, but mostly focusing on Ron's poor abilities of being a goalie or keeper. Ron's obviously down in the dumps after his first practice, but it's like, dude, it's your first practice, like, your first legitimate practice on being part of a team in a role that you clearly were not prepared to take, so it's like... Well, on top of that, you're getting heckled by the people who get under your skin. Right. Whereas, like, Harry has experience dealing with it. He's like, I understand why Ron isn't handling this well. It's because he, he's never dealt with it before in the past, so. And trying to do a good job in front of that many people, not everyone who likes you. Mostly people that don't like you, let's call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. But when they get back from that practice, they obviously have a boatload of homework to deal with, so they're up late again. Seems like to be a trend that, like, these guys are just putting too much on their plate, then just ignoring things until it's too late, and then they have to stay up super late and do homework. Uh, that's a trend throughout fifth year, right? It gives me anxiety sometimes yeah. when I read the fifth one. And while they're doing that, playing catch-up on their homework, Percy's owl, Hermes, appears in the window of the common room, which was a little weird because it's like... That's not when mail usually comes? Correct. And Percy's letter to Ron, more or less, is just going, congratulations on being a prefect. Maybe you are falling in my shoes. However, don't attach yourself with Harry Potter. He's a bad apple. Don't listen to Dumbledore, like, this and that. Like, just bashing every bit of people he trusts, more or less. Yeah. 
And then even kind of taking a shot at his own parents at yep. a certain point. And it's just like... I don't know. Who raised you? Dang, Percy. Like, who peed in your Cheerios this morning? Like, Jesus. <laughs> and Ron basically just is like, listen, Percy's Looney Tunes. Let's not listen to him. Clearly, none of this is what my beliefs are. So, like, let's get back to whatever we, we were doing. And then he swears he sees Sirius in the fire. And then, sure enough, Sirius is like, here. I'm not just kind of here. I'm here in the fire. Pulling his fire trick where he's talking in the fire again in the common well, room. Oh, it's not a trick. It's magic. Yeah, you can do that. Clearly, it's been done a couple times in previous books. Yeah, multiple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Sirius makes it very apparent that Umbridge is not a Death Eater. Right. Then Harry just basically just dumping his concerns on Sirius. And Sirius is like, listen... You're being really stupid right now. In a polite way, obviously. He's not, like, just bad-mouthing Harry, but, like, it's like, relax. Everything's fine. Hagrid's okay. Don't worry about it. Like, he can handle his own business. He's a grown big boy. You well, know. he's also a half-giant. He yeah. can handle whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and that puts Harry at ease and fade to black. We're into the next chapter. I like what I believe Sirius said the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters or something yeah. like that. I think that's a very solid point about... These characters who you have to realize are supposed to be real people with real flaws and not everyone's going to be a white hat and not everyone's going to be a bad guy. So it's just people being people. Right. And then in chapter 15, we start off with Umbridge being named High Inquisitor, giving her the power to review classes and their professors to make sure their classes are taught the way the ministry wants them to be taught. Censorship is what we're talking about. Correct. It kind of hit close to home currently as to what's going on, but at the same time... Not quite on that level. Yeah, not quite there yet. You know, obviously you're seeing censorship in both directions still currently politically, but at the same time... It's because there's so much nonsense getting out currently. But it's kind of the concern and the the motivation behind it is to squash that stuff that's going on in Hogwarts right now where there's a lot of talk about one way or the other and it's just like, this is how we get around this. Umbridge gets in on Harry's divination class and is basically just bullying Trelawney around through the whole process. And it's just like, well, fine, tell me something about me. And Trelawney goes to her normal, like, well, death is coming speech. Which, I'll be honest, for the first time, I was like, I hope she's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the classmates, or the class and students, were like the same way. Like, yeah, please, please, please be right about this. And again, we come back to being in Defense Against the Dark Arts. Harry starts to lose his cool again because Hermione proved that she had read the entire book. Yeah. Umbridge wasn't satisfied with that because Hermione was trying to give her own opinion about a take on what was actually being written in the book, which seems like kind of a weird way to lose points for a, a class when it's like, yeah, I've already not... done all the homework for the year. Oh, five points from Gryffindor. The problem was she was thinking for herself. That was the real problem. Not that she had read the book. Right. And in turn, Harry loses his cool. And she goes on about how all the previous teachers were crazy or or like weren't teaching the way that is meant to be taught. And that's why we're trying to learn the way we're learning. And Harry starts calling out like, oh, yeah, because, you know, Moody ended up being a maniac. And, you know, yeah, Lupin was a werewolf. But at the same time, he wasn't bad. He was a really good teacher. Yeah. And then she's like, honestly, the only good teacher you ever had was Professor Coral. And Harry's like, well, we'll all see how that turned out. You yeah. Know? Like, he was literally harboring Voldemort. Like, then Umbridge is like, cool, see you next week for a whole other week of detention. Like, not even just giving him a chance for a day. It was just like, yeah, it's all coming down another week. Well, she's trying to end his descent in the class because he might be giving other people ideas. 
And then we got a little bit of joy where she's trying to overstep McGonagall in the class, and it's just like McGonagall drops the mic on Umbridge. Like uh, I love McGonagall. Yeah, it was a great scene. Like obviously Harry, Ron, and Hermione were like, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> "You go, go, McGonagall, go!" I'll, I I truly love that scene. Like that was one of my favorites in the chapters. Uh, I there read. are some better McGonagall moments in this book, and that's one of them. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was by far one of my favorites. And coming to wrap up that chapter, you kind of get uh, Hermione, who's been contemplating this idea for, like, weeks now about starting her own, like, study group with the help of Harry and Ron to study Defense Against the Dark Arts. And that Harry should teach the class. And Harry's like, no. Literally, I'm already getting so much detention. I don't need any more negative attention right now. Well, and I don't need anything else on my plate either. Right. There's, There's enough going on. And so, like, over the ending of that chapter and the next chapter, it's basically Hermione and Ron, like, it's a great idea. We should do this. You should support it, Harry. Why aren't you supporting it? Like, kind of poking him until he's like, fine, fine, we'll do it. Just you guys. Yeah, just you guys. And then Hermione's like, well, maybe, maybe you'll include a couple of our friends. And he's like, fine, some friends. Small group, you know, as what it will be. And in turn, Hermione starts to spread the word that they'll meet on the next Hogsmeade trip to this, like, select group of friends. Yeah. And instead of meeting at three broomsticks, three broomsticks, which is usually overcrowded and packed, they choose Hogshead, which, having been to, like, the recreation of it at uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, I kind of know what this looks like. Yeah. Albeit that was probably more based off the movie than the actual book. I have an issue that I'm going to come up to here in a second whenever you get to it. I'm going to try to keep it short because I don't want the podcast to run way too long. Okay. And so they meet up there and they ask for butterbeers and they're like covered in absolute dust because like nobody ever comes in and orders butterbeer. They order harder alcohol at the Hogshead, clearly. Right. It's more of a grown up place. Right. And they pay for it and they go back and sit in one of the corners, waiting for everybody else to arrive. Hermione continues to reiterate that she only invited a small group of people. Yeah. And then 24 people show up, which I think was a great scene because, like, Fred and George are like, a butterbeer for everyone. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, guys, cough it up. Pay, we're pay- You're paying for this. We're not paying for you. Yeah. And it's like, why would you say that? If you don't know that everybody wants one and like, you got to imagine that it's like a great day for the barkeep there. Who's like, Holy crap, we're money. making record sales today. Like, whoa, it just came out of nowhere. And so like Harry's super nervous about like what he's going to say in front of these group of kids. Let's call them what they are. Yeah. Children. Might I interrupt a moment? Yeah. It gives you a list of people who show up. Who is the one person who there should be no way they're in this meeting? I don't know. At one point it mentions the Creevy brothers show up. They're the biggest blabbermouth that exists. No, that's not the problem. Oh. Dennis Creevy was sorted in the fourth book, which means he is only a second year when this meeting is taking place. So how and why is he there? Only third years and above are supposed to be able to go to Hogsmeade. Yeah. And a lot of people have just said, well, he just sneaks out. First of all, how does he know to sneak out? And even if he does know to sneak out, why would he do it for this when Colin's already going and he can get into a lot of trouble? Also, that's a cheap way to try to wiggle out of that one. Yeah, it is a little weird. I, I didn't notice that, honestly, originally in the book. But obviously you have reread them multiple times. So that yeah, makes sense it took to me a few it. years to go, what? This isn't right. Right. And as Harry's going through his spiel, everybody's like, 
and Harry did this, and Harry did that, and shows like, and Harry did this last year, and blah, 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 blah. And like, it all sounds nice when you put it all together like that. Everybody's like, hype him up, and he's like, listen, I had help through all these things. Like, I didn't do this just by myself, so like, maybe I'm not the guy. And Zachariah Smith is like, are you trying to back out on us? I hate Zachariah Smith. Uh, I gained a little minute hatred for him as well. It'll continue. Yeah, and he's, he literally accuses them of trying to weasel out of teaching them things, and, and Harry's like, no. First of all, he didn't even set this meeting. Yeah, he was, listen, I'm totally here to help you guys, but like at the same time, like this wasn't my idea, so get off my back. Eventually, he gets through his whole spiel. All 24 people sign the parchment and agree that the group can't interrupt normal things like Quidditch practices. Gobstone meetings. Gobstone meetings, like things that will make everything look regular to outsiders so that like it's not drawing attention, basically, which I thought was a wise decision. Like the last thing you want to do is be like, hey, why do these people not show up to Quidditch practice or whatever gobstone meetings are? It's a game. Anyway. I figured. It's gobstone clubs. It's like a clubs. Poke- Pokemon era type thing? Or... No. No? I don't know. I Maybe I'll learn it's... at some point. Basically like marbles, but they shoot liquid out at the loser, and it's a weird thing. They have a club, and moving on. (laughs) Starting off chapter 17, you get the new decree. Because there's never enough decrees, it seems, this year. uh, That Umbridge has allowed, or that Cornelius Fudge has allowed Umbridge to ban all student organizations, including Quidditch teams, unless reinstated by her specifically. Yeah. So it's just like, I love that Very biased. Well... I love that they signed this paper, you know, and part of the agreement was all these clubs were going to cause problems, and then she's like, no more clubs. Well, she's really trying to shut them down. Right. I don't know how she knew quite at this point, but obviously you find out a little bit later on. Right. Harry's worried that basically someone ran to Umbridge and, like, spilled the beans, so is Ron. They don't think anyone's trustworthy anymore. Right. And Hermione's like, listen, we'll know. And they're like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I hexed the paper that everybody signed. And if they did rat us out or talk to anybody other than the people that signed the paper, they're going to be covered in boils. And I'm like, go Hermione. I think this proves my point that Hermione, while she is like on most levels a goody two-shoes, she's willing to go to these sorts of measures. And it makes her a more morally great character than the movies portray. Yeah. Because she does this. The thing with catching Rita Skeeter in the jar, yeah. like all this other stuff she does that if she was a goody two-shoes, she definitely wouldn't do. Right. Which is fantastic because, you know, who doesn't love a little morally gray? Right. It's my favorite color, morally gray. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that saying about a million times. So they get down to breakfast and basically go, cool, nobody's covered in boils, so clearly nobody spilled the beans. Right. But everybody's sitting there as part of the group is, like, trying to get over to Harry, and Harry's mouthing, like, or, sorry, it was reminding them out, like, no, don't, we'll have a conversation in a different form of communication. Right. Don't freak out. Everything's fine. We'll deal with this later. Right. Because we don't want the extra attention. During the History of Magic class, Harry notices that Hedwig is in the window, and kind of like a weird timing because again like shortly thereafter breakfast should have been dropping mail like every well, other she was injured so that's probably why she was late for mail call well, thanks spoiler i was getting to that <laughs> i mean you were about to say it yeah so harry gets to the window and notices that there's something wrong with hedwig and that she's injured ends up saying that he's sick so that he can go to the medical wing with hedwig behind his back realistically he's hunting down the care of magical creatures teacher is it grubbly plank yep that's an awful name. Agreed. 
And so he gets to her and finds out that she's probably in the teacher's lounge, basically. Yep. And knocks on the door to try to get her attention. And McGonagall answers. And she's like, what did you do now? (laughs) And Harry's like, literally nothing. I just need to speak to so-and-so. And she can maybe help out because Hedwig is hurt. Yep. She agrees to take care of Hedwig, brings Hedwig back to top health. I was actually sad. Like, you know how you were referencing in the tags, like, moments that almost made you cry. I was like, but Hedwig didn't deserve it. Yeah. Didn't make me cry, but at the same time, I was like, man, that sucks. Yeah, poor Hedwig. Hedwig ends up being carrying a letter from Sirius basically saying, same time, same place. And what was weird is in, like, some of these notes that I was reading about this chapter, it said today, same time, same place. But in the book, it does not say that. It says same time, same place. So I was yeah. like, I'm glad I pulled the book back open and looked at it. Yeah, no. it's like... Don't want to be misquoted on that. Basically, they go back. They that later that night while they're doing their homework, Sirius appears again in the fire. Basically, he's like, "Listen, I heard about what you're doing. I 100% support it, but you guys need to be more careful. Don't be so stupid." Right. And he goes, "It would have been better to hold your meeting in three broomsticks because it would have looked normal for a group of people to be meeting there. Also, all the commotion there would have made it much harder for somebody to eavesdrop on what you were talking about." It's like he's almost done stuff like this before. Yeah, because he has. Go figure. Yeah. And they're all like, "How did you hear about it?" Well, Mundungus was in Hogshead with you, idiots. Yeah. Like, do you remember the person with the hood over his head and was sitting by themselves? And they're like, "Yeah." Oh my god, like, they're still following me? Like, Harry gets defensive a little bit, and they're like, yeah, stupid. Like, we can't not protect you, knowing who's out there. Like, of course, why are you shocked? And then out of nowhere, like, a hand appears, trying to grab Sirius out of the fire. And we later find out that that was Umbridge's hand trying to grab Sirius. And their conversation is cut literally very short because of that. And they run back up to bed because they're, like, afraid that Umbridge is going to come barreling through the portrait frame and, like, being like, what are you doing? So they go back to sleep very quickly. Hermione kind of spins off this idea that Umbridge is the reason that Hedwig was hurt. And I already hated Umbridge, but, like, that took my level of hate to, like... Max level. Oh, yeah. Like, who screws with Hedwig? Hedwig is great. Why? Yeah. Don't come screwing with my owl. Well, she's not your owl. Based on the way I'm reading it, yeah, she is. (laughs) Okay. Self-insert fic, apparently. Angelina finally is capable of getting the Quidditch team reinstated uh, with the help of McGonagall. And immediately schedules a practice that night, even though the weather is literally miserable. Like, raining cats and dogs outside. Not literal cats and dogs, obviously, but, like, dumping down rain. Miserable weather, strong winds, all the things you don't really want to have happen. I mean, that could happen during games, so why not? Prepare for the worst. Yeah. Yeah. They finish up with their practice. Ron calls it an early night because he's just worn out. Like, just beat up. Again, not too happy with his performances. Hermione also calls it an early night because she's already done all her homework. And so Harry's staying up to do, I believe it was Snape's stuff. Potions essay? Yeah, if I remember correctly. And ends up passing out and falling asleep. And then gets woken up by Dobby cleaning up the common room by himself. Wearing basically all of the hats and socks (laughs) that Hermione's been making for the house elves. At first, Harry's like, so a bunch of elves aren't getting freed. You're just collecting them on. He goes, the other elves won't even come up here after Hermione yeah. started doing what she was doing. They don't want to be tricked into freedom. Right. And then he goes, so I've been doing it myself. And Harry's like, well, you really know Hogwarts. Are there any places that we could, like, host this secret meeting? And Dobby's like, duh, yeah. 
Yeah. Let me tell you all about it. The come and go room. The room of requirement. Yeah, but I think he calls it the come and go room. Yeah, because yeah, it just randomly appears if you truly need it. Yeah. Or you truly require it. And so the next morning, Harry kind of like tells Hermione and Ron about it. And they're like, this is perfect. So they communicated out to the crew of 24 as to where they're going to be and how they're going to get there and all that stuff. And when they get there, Harry, Hermione, and Ron get there a little early. And it's just like all the books of hexes and things that you could ever dream of. And like spaces and pillows to sit down and watch, you know, and learn things. And it's just like the perfect room for them to meet at. When everybody eventually gets there, Hermione calls for a vote as to Harry being the teacher of the group or like the leader of the group, more or yeah. less. And everybody kind of unanimously votes. Zachariah Smith is a little nervous, like kind of shakily puts his hand up. But everybody else was pretty much on that same page. And then the second accord to business is coming up with a name. Cho Chang comes up with the name Defense Association, or DA for short. Yeah. And Ginny's like, I like what you're doing with that. <laughs> But let's step it up another level just for the irony's sake and we'll go by Dumbledore's army because that's, that's what, what everybody thinks is happening at the school. That's what Fudge is afraid of. Right. And clearly that is immediately voted in as the name Dumbledore's army and I love it yeah. so much. And then they're obviously doing basic magic. I believe it was just Expelliarmus the first night mm-hmm. that they're there. Disarming. and Yeah, they so. realize what time it is. And Hermione's like, so how do we, or everybody's like, so how do we communicate when the next class is going to be? Because clearly this method isn't going to work. And Hermione's like, got you fam. Have these gold coins that are hexed, or gold galleons that are hexed. Charmed, not Charmed, hexed. sorry, charmed. To basically show the date and time as to when the next class will be. And I'm like, that's super smart. And she got the idea from the dark mark. Yeah, which Harry was not happy about at first, but then was like, but it's not tattooed on us. Right, right. Could be worse. In the next chapter, you get the first Quidditch match of the season. Uh, Ron wakes up and he's so nervous he literally does not eat a thing, which obviously is not a wise decision before competing in any type of sport. Right. The song that the Slytherins sing. Weasley is our king. And the badges that they're wearing. Like, at first, like, you're like, Weasley is our king, because I knew nothing about where that terminology came from. I'm like, oh, that's great. People are supporting Ron. And then I realized very quickly that that is not at all what they're doing. No, you've seen, I have Harry Potter merch that says Weasley is our king, and you don't know what's going on with that. Not at all. I'm surely glad now that I did not speak up in that group at LeakyCon more so than ever because I would have been slaughtered according to what I deserved at that point in time. Yeah, well, you have to read the books. Yep, which is good because I'm learning things. Ron gives up some pretty quick goals. They're down four goals to nothing, so 40 points to nothing, and then Gryffindor finally scores, so it's 40 to 10. But it doesn't seem like anything else is really going their way. The good news is it's more of a stalemate after that point, which is kind of the saving grace. Right. And it gives Harry a chance to really focus on looking for the golden snitch to try to end it as quickly as possible uh, which he ends up doing after like having a little bit of a head start that Malfoy had in trying to get to the golden snitch but Harry still beats him out and grabs it and then Crab pelts him with a freaking bludger yeah. at the end of the match after the whistle has already been made and dead the game is over and Crab's like ah one more good swat while Madam Hooch is like chewing him out after he she checks on Harry, obviously, to make sure he's okay. Malfoy starts lipping off to the Weasleys and Harry about family and living situations. And right. All the things that hit the hot points for the Weasleys and Harry. 
and he ends up taking a shot at Harry's mom and the reason maybe why he was so comfortable in that dump that is the burrow. It's not a dump, but yeah. And then Harry's like, all right, let's George off a leash. Yeah. George goes running, Harry goes running, and they just literally start pounding Malfoy's face in to the ground. Madame Hooch hears all the yelling and stops the fight immediately by using magical spell. I believe it was like pedimente or something like that, and I probably butchered the saying on it, but yeah, that. Probably the same spell that Harry learned for the maze in book four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. McGonagall more or less should have just dragged them by their ears. Like, albeit they had every right to beat the crap out of Malfoy, but at the same time, it was like, be better than that. You just won. Be good sports about it. Like He was just trying to get under their skin because he's upset about losing. Right. So McGonagall is literally letting him have it. Like, just ripping him a new one in her office and gives him a detention each for a week to serve. As if Harry hadn't had enough. Enough detention this year. Yeah, let's be honest. As she's doing that, Umbridge barges in and tells him about the next newest decree that Cornelius Fudge has passed for her to give her even more power, which is handling all punishments. She can override punishments now and has banned both the Weasley twins and Harry from ever playing Quidditch again. Despite the fact that Fred was not involved in that fight. Ooh, but Fred would have been involved in that fight very quickly if he wasn't being held back by three different people. Okay, but you're not supposed to be punished for things that you could have done. Right. And she confiscates all their brooms so that they can't even practice. I feel like that's a step too far. I think the other stuff is a step too far, but definitely that one. And while they're wallowing about it in the common room, Hermione notices that Hagrid's back. Yeah. In my chapter 20 notes, because I just read it and it's so freshly in my mind, I left literally three notes. Okay. Hagrid is back. Hagrid ends up telling Harry, Hermione, and Ron after being poked and prodded more or less about where he was and what he was up to with finding the giants and how he was originally being successful in persuading them and then one of the other giants killed the head giant that they were working with and became the new head giant i believe the term is perg perg yeah yeah He's basically going into the fact that, like, this has been happening forever and ever, and they'll eventually continue to happen until there's none left. And that the Death Eaters arrive, uh, McNair is leading the Death Eaters, and the new Kurg is taking more kindly to Death Eaters than to Hagrid's stuff. And so Hagrid's like, more or less, the entire mission was unsuccessful, shy of maybe persuading a couple random outliers that were outcasted from the camp that Dumbledore was with them, which really doesn't make too much of a difference to them because they still have to deal with the camp of people as it were anyways, so... While this is all going on, they're interrupted by Umbridge because Umbridge realizes that there's three sets of footprints walking down through the snow to Hagrid's house. And she's like, it's kind of convenient that there's no footprints going back, isn't it, Hagrid? And like, she's walking through the house, like clearly hoping to just find where these three are hiding Yeah. and are unsuccessful overall. And Hagrid waits to let them pull the cover off. Uh, of themselves while Umbridge is walking back all pissed off to the world back to the castle but yeah that's more or less that last chapter it was more Hagrid telling his story than anything right right but that's where I've ended for the current chapters because that's the end of chapter 20 and we'll leave you guys with that and you're gonna try to read to the three-quarter mark yeah roughly around another 220 pages yeah i'm looking forward to more of it because it's starting to finally kind of move along a little faster pace now which is good i'm ready for you to get to the christmas yeah because you like christmas sure you love christmas i'm sorry i apologize that's not why i said sure but that's anyway 
I'm sure I'll learn more about that soon. But that's what I'll be reading next week. So we'll catch you guys next week. We appreciate you listening in. All of our social media will be linked down in the show notes. Catch you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.